We are in our series in the book of Acts. We're going to be here until Christmas and we have reached Acts chapter 8. Now over the last couple of weeks we were looking at the first half of Acts 8 and in there we see how Philip, one of one of the deacons that were appointed and anointed by the apostles to be deacons in the church, um, was sent out through a bit of persecution and he doesn't just keep quiet, he goes to Samaria um, and he tells them about Jesus. And he does signs and wonders. And the people believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's been a successful revival in Samaria. Last week, uh, Paul took us through the interesting story of a man called Simon, who was a bit of a magician, a bit of a sorcerer, before he put his faith in Jesus. And even after he'd been baptised... He put his foot in his mouth a little bit and showed that he still had a bit of unlearning to, of the ways of the world to do. Uh, but it's good. It's going to be up on the podcast. I'm running a little bit behind popping it up, but it will be there. So coming off this successful revival in Samaria, I mean, what next, right? If Philip's just done a whole region preaching the Lord Jesus, good grief, where's he going to go? Well, the second half of chapter 8 tells us. It says this, I'm just going to read through it and stop and comment as I go. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. How about that? An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. We would like that. We would love it. I, I'm sure, actually I'm convinced that I've probably spoken to an angel without knowing it. Because it says in Hebrews, be hospitable, let people into your house because people have entertained angels without even knowing about it. Yeah, there is absolutely angelic beings in this world who are serving God's purposes and serving the people of God. And in this occasion, one of them came and gave a word to Philip, a directive word. Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Very poignant. We've prayed for Gaza this morning. We've prayed for Jerusalem this morning. Um, I was going to mention a little bit just about my view on it. Now, it might annoy you, but my view is both sides have done horrendous things. Amen. My view is that neither side is innocent. It's power, it's politics, but the only hope for that land is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The only way peace can be rolled out in that troubled land is the Lord Jesus so we need to pray. We need to pray that Israel would repent of the things they've done. We need to pray that Hamas and Palestine would repent of the things they've done. That they would both be able to come to some sort of peace. But above all else, we need to pray that the gospel will go to Israel. Amen? Amen? Yes. We've got to pray that the gospel will go to Palestine. Amen? Amen. Why not pray? for senior people in Hamas to meet the Lord Jesus Christ? Why not pray for senior people in the Israeli government to meet the Lord Jesus Christ? We hear stories from the Middle East of Jesus appearing in people's dreams. Oh Lord, would you appear in the dreams of these people who are doing these things? We're going to find out next week that perpetrating crimes and killing people is no barrier to the Lord Jesus saving you. Amen. Paul approved of the martyrdom of Stephen 
the killing of Stephen. And two chapters later, we're going to find out next week, the Lord Jesus says, right, I'll have you. So let's pray for the kingdom of God to come in that place. Amen? Amen. Get up, go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. Think about it. You've got all of this, all those people have come to the Lord Jesus and I told them about him. Okay, Lord, where now? Go to the desert road. (laughs) But Lord, there's that city over there. They've not heard yet. Go to the desert road. There's a question for each one of us. Are we in this to appear big, to appear important? Or are we in this to be faithful? Are we going to follow the leading of the Lord even when it doesn't make sense? It's hard. It's hard. hard. And I've heard people say things like, well, the Lord only promotes. You're going to go bigger and better. No, I'm sorry. You don't get see that in the Bible. You don't see that here. After the revival in Samaria, go to the desert road. So he got up and went. Bless Philip. He listens and he obeys. He doesn't go, well, Lord, but what? But, no, he gets up and he goes. Lord, that we would have hearts that are that sensitive to your leading, that we will do what you tell us to do. Now, on this desert road, there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and a high official of Kandake, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. So he comes across this unusual man. There are four things that mark this man as unusual. First of all, he was an Ethiopian man in Israel. Now, Ethiopia, in, when Luke was writing, isn't where we would call Ethiopia. It was pretty much anywhere south of Egypt. And it would go as far south as they knew at that time. But it's this region of Africa. So this is a Gentile man. He is an African man. The second thing that marks him out, he's a eunuch. Now, for those that don't know what a eunuch is, they are people who, for political reasons, so that they can serve, have been castrated. No man wants to hear that word. (laughs) They have lopped off the important bits as far as most men are concerned. He is a eunuch. He's a high official of Kandake. I I would normally read that as Candace, but I'm told by a couple of commentaries that it would be more like Kandake. Now, this isn't a person. This is a title. This is the queen of the Ethiopians, actually quite often referred to like the queen mother in, in Ethiopian society. So he's marked out by being an Ethiopian man. He's marked out by being a eunuch. He's marked out by being a high official of Kandake. And he was in charge of her entire treasury. And this was the point of eunuchs. The point of eunuchs was you do what you do to them so that you can put them in charge of a senior female royal knowing that nothing untoward is going to happen so that you can trust them. And he's been trusted with her entire treasury. He is going to be a wealthy man. 
And we're told he'd come to worship in Jerusalem. So he's a Gentile, yes, but he is a Gentile God-fearer. He has heard of the God of Israel and he has decided this is the God I want to worship. And so he's travelled in pilgrimage. But there's a problem because as a Gentile, he would only be able to go into the outer courts of the temple. He wouldn't be able to go any further than that. There's parts of the temple where only Jewish people can go. There's further parts where only Jewish men can go. There's farther parts where only the priests can go. He would have been restricted to just the outside. But there's another problem because the law says this in Deuteronomy 23 verse 1. Deuteronomy 23 verse 1 says, No man whose testicles have been crushed or whose penis has been cut off may enter the Lord's assembly. Often in the Old Testament, because the message God was trying to teach us through the law is that none of us are good enough, we all fall short in one way or another, there are restrictions on who may approach him under the Old Testament law. And this man, as a eunuch, would not have been allowed to enter the courts. So he's done this faithful pilgrimage, but all he would have known was exclusion. All he would have known is that he's not enough. He was sitting in his chariot on his way home and he was reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. So somehow he had managed to get a copy of the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he was reading it, trying to make sense of it. So the spirit tells Philip, go, join that chariot. Again, Philip, it says, ran up to it. He was eager to follow what the Lord had said. It's probable that the chariot was actually still moving and he was running up to try and catch up and get broach some sort of subject. And as he does that, he hears that he's reading Isaiah. And he must have thought, oh, interesting. Why would this man be reading Isaiah? God has sent me here for a reason. This is a sign that God is moving in the eunuch's life. Taking the opportunity, Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? You know, there is power in asking a question sometimes more than in trying to give your view. If we're wanting to try and share the good news of Jesus Christ with people that don't know him yet, sometimes it's better to ask a question to find out where they are at to find out what is going on in their hearts rather than come up with a pre-packaged message that says, the Lord is very angry with you, but in his great love, he sent his son and you will be, if you repent, you can be forgiven and you can find life and all of that. That might not be where they're at. Your neighbor might be anxious about something and they might need to hear about how Jesus promises peace. And yes, on the way, they have to find out that they are sinners in need of God's forgiveness and grace. But God meets us where we're at. Amen? Every single one of us have come into the kingdom for a different reason. I can guarantee it. There is a different story that we have. And God is good enough to meet us where we are at.
And if we go with a pre-packaged message that we just proclaim and broadcast and ignore where someone is at, we're going to be talking over their heads. So ask questions of your colleagues. Ask questions of your neighbours. Ask questions of your family members who don't know Jesus. Find out where they are so that you can see where God is already at work. And then you just join in where God's working. It's better to join where God is already at work than try and start something yourself. Amen? Do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me? Who's read Isaiah? Who understood it perfectly? (laughs) There are bits in the Old Testament prophets, there are bits in the New Testament prophets, that are confusing. And you can either, in your pride, say, oh, it must mean that. Or you can humbly say, no, I need some help. Give me some help, please. And that's what the Ethiopian eunuch does. He says to Philip, someone needs to guide me. I don't get it. So he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. And who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. I mean, of all the passages to be reading. Come on. Yes, Lord, this one's going to be easy. Because it's clearly talking about Jesus. We know now, 2,000 years later. The eunuch says to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? Is it about himself or is it about someone else? And you do have this in Isaiah, to be fair. You have Isaiah being called as the servant of God. And here in, this, in Isaiah 53, there's a whole series of what they call the servant songs that are talking about the promised Messiah, the promised anointed one who is going to come. But if you don't know that, all you'll see is references to a servant. Oh, is that, the, is that Isaiah? Is that the same servant? Well, Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. Beginning with that scripture. He would have taken that bit of Isaiah 53 and he would have pointed out, well, actually, he was talking about someone else. And I can tell you who. Because it's one thing to say he's talking about someone else, but we don't know who. It's another thing to say, yes, he's talking about Jesus. See, Jesus, there was this man who came three or four years ago, maybe a bit longer than that by this point in Acts, to to Israel, and he started speaking with authority. He wasn't like those people in the temple. He spoke with his own authority. And we could tell that God was with him. He came doing signs and wonders. And for three years, we thought he was the one. But then he died. And we wondered what was going on because we thought he was the promised one. We thought he was the one that the prophets had promised us about. But he died. But here in Isaiah 53, Mr. Eunuch, you're finding out why he died. 
He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb is silent, he did not open his mouth. Earlier in Isaiah 53, we, talk, we see how the, uh, the servant is promised to be one who takes our iniquities upon himself, our sin, the things we have done wrong upon his own shoulders. The punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him. So you see, Mr. Eunuch, this is why Jesus died. We didn't get it at the time, but now we know he was fulfilling what you are reading right here. He was the suffering servant who laid his life down so that you and me, who are sinners, you and me, who have done the wrong thing, can find life in him. Because you see, he didn't stay dead, Mr. Eunuch. He did not stay dead. He rose again. Three days later, that tomb that they sealed, he shouldn't have had a tomb, but this nice guy, Joseph of Arimathea, gave him a tomb of so much was his respect for Jesus. And they sealed it with a rock. But three days later, that tomb was rolled, that stone was rolled away. That tomb was opened up. Those grave clothes that were wrapped around his body were folded up. They were folded up because he had come back to life. Shouldn't have happened. We knew there's going to be a resurrection one day when God wraps the whole of history up. But this one man, this amazing man, this God man, brought the resurrection into now. And because he has been raised, we know that one day we will be raised. Hallelujah. This is the good news that he shared from Isaiah. And as they were traveling down the road, see, they were journeying together. They were walking, well, riding together. Sometimes the people that God leads us to, there needs to be a bit of a journey with them. It's not all going to happen like that. You might have the bit of the puzzle that just nudges them along the path to knowing Jesus. And someone else is going to come along after you and nudge them along, along a little bit more and then a little bit more and then a little bit more until finally they say, I get it. He's Lord, isn't he? Mm. You might not be the whole journey. You might be, but it might be years. It might be years that you are walking with someone, faithfully sharing what God has done in your life and what he wants to do in their life before they submit and surrender and repent. Sometimes we need to be a bit patient. But as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? You see, this man has just been to Jerusalem to worship. And all he's known is exclusion. All he's known is, oh, I can't go in there. I'm not the right nation. I've been castrated, so I can't go in according to the law. But God is so worth it that, I, that here is good enough. I want to go further, but I can't. So this is what is behind his question. Is there anything that would stop me being able to be baptised? Is this open for me, is what he's asking. Now, interestingly, how does he know about baptism? 
it doesn't mention it. It comes out of nowhere. Can I be baptized? Wouldn't it be great if that was the first question someone <laughs> asked us when we talked to them? Well, I think partly as a God-fearer, there was a custom in Israel at the time that if you want to convert, um, then you would undergo a baptism and then you would be circumcised. Now, because he obviously cannot be circumcised, he couldn't be converted. He could not go through that. He could not become a faithful follower of the God of Israel. So he wants to know, can I be baptised? Maybe Philip has pointed out the promise that Peter proclaimed on the day of Pentecost. Repent and be baptised, every single one of you, so that you'll be forgiven and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's why he's asking about baptism. What's the answer? Is there anything stopping him from being baptised? No. There is a verse missing in your Bible if you look carefully. It goes 36, 38. Now in, your, in the bottom of your margin, it probably says the earliest manuscripts don't have verse 37. But it says something like this. If you'll believe with all your heart, you may. And the Ethiopian replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, it probably wasn't in what Luke wrote. It probably was added in a couple of hundred years later by someone based upon how baptism was done back then. But you know what? It shows the importance of baptism. But also, I like it. I, I can't say that it is the inspired authoritative word of God because it wasn't in the earliest manuscripts. But it does show how the church saw this. If you believe with all your heart, you may be baptised. There's no other qualification. If you believe, you can be baptised. You can pledge your allegiance. You can say, Jesus, I want to follow you in baptism. Do you need to be baptised in water? It's really important. It is really important to be baptised in water if you haven't already. It is one of the steps that we take. And it's one of the blessings that God has for us. Because in baptism, what's going on, if you read Romans chapter 6, we are going down in the water. And it's like we're being included in the death and burial of Jesus. Yeah? I've used a word there that I shouldn't have used because Paul doesn't use it. I use the word like. It is like going down in the death and burial of Jesus. Paul just says, you are, going, you are being buried with Christ as you go under the waters. And as you come up, you are being raised with Christ. Amen. See, baptism is our way of kind of stepping across the line and saying, I'm with him. And as we do that, we go under, we get cut off from our old life, and we come up in new life. That new life that Philip would have told the eunuch about when Jesus broke the chains of death. That comes into our reality and our experience. Amen? So if you haven't been baptised, think about it. We would love to baptise you and bring you into that blessing. So... The eunuch ordered the chariot to stop and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptised him. 
Interesting. This is the first Gentile to be baptized. This is the first person from outside the people of Israel who could trace their lineage all the way back to Abraham being baptized. I mean, you feel a little bit bad for Peter because when he goes and does this in a couple of chapters time with Cornelius, he is dragged over the coals by the temple, by the, the Jewish people in the church saying, how could you do this? They're not Israeli. They're not Jewish. I mean, at least the Samaritans are from Jacob. But Gentiles. But this was done a little bit covertly. And he comes up rejoicing. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Now, there's an interesting one. This is full of interesting bits. He starts off with an angel speaking, finishes with the Holy Spirit just poof, taking him away. Disappears in, on the road to Gaza, reappears. It says, Philip appeared in Azotus in verse 40. Just poof, reappears. Plonked right where the Lord wants him to be for the next step of his mission. But we're not there yet. The eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. This unusual convert unexpectedly finds life, hope and salvation in Jesus Christ. I don't know if Philip went there, but after Isaiah 53, funnily enough, comes Isaiah chapter 56, if you keep on a few more pages enough. And in Isaiah 56, it says this. No foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say, the Lord will exclude me from his people. And the eunuch should not say, look, I am a dried up tree. For the Lord says this, for the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. The eunuch cannot have sons and daughters. God is going to bless them better than if they'd had sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. And as for the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to become his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and hold firmly to my covenant, I will bring them to my holy mountain. And I will let them rejoice in my house of prayer. There is a promise in Isaiah that the people who are excluded by the law will be allowed right onto his holy mountain, right into the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. Why? We have it on here every morning as part of the loop. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Amen. Amen. This is us. This is the church of Jesus Christ across the world. Yes, but in this room. One, two, three, four five nations six if you count the south african in the other room just in this handful of people in this building in swindon there are six nations represented 
This is the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, this eunuch, who was doubly excluded as a foreigner and a eunuch, finds welcome in Jesus Christ. It's got a question. As you look across society, as you look outside the window, as you walk around this town that God has placed us in, who would test your faith that God wants them, that God can save them? Is there anyone that you'd think, well, ooh, I don't know if I'd share the gospel with them? Be honest. You don't need to say, in your heart, just think, I would struggle to share the gospel with. And it's interesting, one of the, the people groups who I think will feel excluded, just, in, just without knowing any reality to it, but think that the church doesn't want them, are people like this eunuch, transsexuals. People who, for whatever reason, believe that their body got mixed up. Now, I'm not saying we have to agree with them that that's what happened. I'm not. Because I don't believe God makes mistakes. I think the problem is actually much more about what we think is stereotypically male and female. And we live in a fallen world, and sometimes that fallen world has its impact on people in different ways. And one of those ways is that they get a bit mixed up. But how would we preach the gospel to someone who's been through surgery to confirm themselves in that, in that gender that they think they are? Would we take the gospel to them? I think the story of the Ethiopian eunuch means that we should. We absolutely should. It gives me hope for those who have undergone surgery to reassign their gender. That question, what keeps me from being baptised, that he asked, shows that fear of being excluded. But in Jesus, the promise of Isaiah 56 is held out. Yes, you might have got irreversible surgery done that changes a fundamental part of your identity, but I will give you a name better than sons and daughters. That promise is for all. It's for every nation. It's for every person. Now, all are welcomed to find life in him, to enjoy his presence, and find that he changes everything. I am not saying that when you come to Jesus in the state you are at, that is how you remain, because Jesus loves us too much for that. There are things in my life that are wrong. There will be still I've walked with Jesus many years, but there are still things in my life that he needs to tweak. He needs to teach me. He needs to train me out of. And these people will come to Jesus and in his way, at his time, he will unravel what needs to be sorted out in their lives. This goes for any of the, the people that we might see as different. The two men that are married... Are we going to share the gospel with them? The two women that are married, are we going to share the gospel with them? We have to. 
And we have to look to the Lord for how he's going to tidy it up because it doesn't conform to what we believe the Bible says. But you know what? God is gracious and he is patient and he is willing to work at the speed and the pace that we allow him to. This unusual convert makes me ask all sorts of questions about who I have faith for to believe in the gospel. Who can find hope and life and peace and justice in Jesus? Everyone. That is the promise of Isaiah 56. There's some difficulties along the way. There's some complexities along the way. There are things that you have to walk through that Jesus will walk through to put right in people's lives. But everyone is welcomed. Amen? Everyone is welcomed. Alcoholics, drug addicts, thieves, con men and women, murderers, terrorists, everyone is welcome. No one is beyond his reach. And if they will come and say, yes, Lord Jesus, I turn from that and I turn to you and I'm going to be baptised and would you fill me with your spirit and lead me in your way from this day forward? Who are we to keep them? Amen? Amen. Philip appeared in Azotus. Actually, now hang on. The interesting thing about the Ethiopian eunuch is we have one of the oldest churches in the world in Ethiopia. We have the Coptic church in Ethiopia. And we don't have any record of any of the apostles traveling to Ethiopia to take the gospel. So who took the gospel there? According to Arrhenius, the early church father, it was this man who took the gospel, shared it with his people, and that church got started and founded. So as we welcome in the people that we might think, oh, I don't know if it works for them, or I don't know how to take them through it, or anything like this, maybe God has got something amazing for that person. Amen? Amen. Philip appeared in Azotus and he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. See, Philip carries on. He was taken to one side for one man, but then he's released back out to the crowds and he does what he does. He preaches the good news of Jesus. He does signs and wonders across the whole, all the towns until he gets to Caesarea. It might be in the coming weeks that God takes you for a little side mission. He might say something to you that makes you think, oh, I don't know about that one. Can I encourage you to go for it and leave the consequences to him? It might be that he is going to take you to some path that has a bigger impact than you think. Philip walked away from that thinking, oh, great. One man. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. But one man. He didn't know that it was going to start the whole church in Ethiopia. God's plans, God's ways are bigger than our plans and our ways. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your goodness. I want to thank you that you are the Lord of love, the Lord of life, 
that there is no one outside your reach. Lord, there is no one who is too far gone that they cannot be brought into life. There is no one who is in such a dark place, a broken place, that you can't sort it out and bring them to trust in your name and to find life in you and to be filled with your spirit so that they don't live life alone anymore. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we as we finish this morning, Lord Jesus, that you would fill us with your spirit afresh. Lord, I pray that we would know your presence with us as we go. And Lord, I pray that you give us ears to hear your leading, your direction. Lord, that might take us in surprising directions to surprising people to see the good news of the King, Jesus Christ, proclaimed to one more person that they may find life in your name. Lord Jesus, we look to you above all else so that you get the glory. We've sung it this morning, Lord Jesus. It's all about you. And all this is for you, for your glory, for your fame. Lord, we say it's not about me. It's not about us. As if you should do things our way. You alone are God. And we surrender to your ways. Lead us, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.